RetroSeasons.com for more sports history. The Philadelphia Athletics faced the Chicago White Sox for a Thursday afternoon game at Comiskey Park on July 30, 1936. Philadelphia was in last place, 23 games under 500, managed by 73-year-old Connie Mack in his 39th year with the Athletics. The White Sox were an average club, coming into the game with a 50-45 and record, coached by Jimmy Dykes in his third year as manager. The audio recording is from the radio broadcast featuring announcer Hal Totten. Your neighborhood Texaco service station welcomes you to another baseball broadcast brought to you direct from Comiskey Park by permission of the Chicago White Sox and the Philadelphia Athletics to stimulate interest in our national game and in your local teams. And now out to Comiskey Park and Hal Totten, who is going to give us some inside information on today's game right from the playing field. Take it away, Hal Totten. The White Sox in Chicago, where the White Sox and the Philadelphia Athletics are going to play the fourth and final game of this present series. Right now, there's a man here that all looks it looks like they want to get a picture of this one. Come on up one step here. These young ladies here have got a camera and want to get a picture of us on the microphone, which is all right. I'm going to make that. I don't think we will. Uh, Tony, uh, this is Tony Pyatt, ladies and gentlemen. I really didn't have time to tell you who it was until we had to start posing for uh, cameras over here. Tony is now a third baseman. Last time we had him on the air, he was a second baseman. So, uh, Tony, I want to ask you some questions about that. When uh, you were on before, you said, didn't you, that second base has been your position regularly ever since you started playing? Well, yes, I have played second base more. But I think I can play third base as well if I play long enough. Oh, I know you play it very well. Whether you play long enough or not, you look like an old trooper out there. But uh, you played some of that up there in the International League last year, didn't you? Well, yes, I have played a few games. Yes, this is some of the time sitting along alongside you out there. Yeah, old right, Lucius Luke. Huh? That's right. <laughs> I played a little uh, with the Reds. I think, I think I played about 50 games of third base in 1934 with the Reds. That gave me a pretty good idea about third base, but still is, I have a lot to learn. Well, what, are, what is the chief difference you find between those two positions? Well, I haven't played third base much this year, and I think it's all in the throwing. Finally that. Huh? The arm has uh, got to be uh, rebuilt all over again. The different muscles put into use. That's all there is to it, Hal. Well, the throw from second base is mostly on underhand. That's right. That this is more of an overhand throw, and of course it's a the ball comes at you in a different angle, and I've got to learn to hit her, so, and Jimmy's been a great help to me. He uh, sort of moves you around, does he in and out? He does. Uh, back and forth. Uh, do you mind going in after those buttons? Well, <laughs> they haven't been buttoned much, but I believe I can make them. If I'm just daring to bunt, that's all. <laughs> just daring to it. You'll be in there charging them. That's anyway. right. I'll be. I'll be uh, well, even at that, over there at second base, sometimes some of these fellas, a few fellas are still drag bunts to sort of pull them down where you got to come over and get them. That's about nearly the same as a bunch, only the throw's a little shorter. It's a more of a flip. I see. From second. From second, yeah. Uh, outside of the throw, though, you find... Uh, that's the, approximately the same course for fly balls, I suppose it is. You've got to take foul balls here and fight off this grandstand a little bit. But then you do that from second base over the other side. You do that as well over second base. Of course, uh, does the, the ball come at you? What do you mean when you said it came at you at a different angle? Well, you don't see the ball as, uh, as you do at second base. The ball kind of just flies off the bat, especially a left-hand hitter. 
It just comes at you before you know it. Uh, and it's a, that's why they call it a hot corner, Hal. Oh, I see. Another, well, I get it. In other words, you've got to really start a little quicker. Is that it? Yeah, you just got to get the knack of uh, where, which way the ball will go to you, right or to your left. And most of them going down there are curving more than they are out there. They're really two, aren't they? Yeah, they sometimes left hand hitter slices the ball and... And you've just, if you play third base long enough, you'll be able to tell whether the ball will go two or three feet to either side of you. But uh, you've got to get used to the uh, vision of it. That's the knack of playing third base only. Uh, looks, uh, looks a little bit as though you got that bat swinging good again. You got a little slump there for a while, didn't you? Oh, well, I Those things happen. I know what. Uh. <laughs> All ball players have them, but uh, I just probably had one for too long of a period. Well... There's several fellas on the club, this club and every other club there. I've seen them all up and down the line. They get them every year, and uh, when it's all over, it's all over. Well, uh, I'd be glad to be in this club all year if we could just keep winning ball games. Well, that's right, too. Well, Tony, I imagine you want to dry off a little. You've been out there getting all full of perspiration, and uh, I want to thank you a lot for stopping here and chatting with us. Wish you a lot of luck at your new job, and uh, that fellow Dykes deserves a rest, and you're giving him a good one and not making him worry about it, which is okay. All right, Al, thanks a lot. Thank you. Uh, Tony Pyatt, ladies and gentlemen, the present third baseman of the White Sox, early part of the year, the second baseman of the club, chatting with us a little bit about this, that, and other things, and I hope you were very much interested in what was going on. And now, let's give you the lineup for the ball game today. For Philadelphia, Finney, left, Moses, center, Dean, first, Puccinelli, right, Johnson, second. Higgins, third. Frank Hayes, catching. Newsom, short. And Rhodes, pitcher. For the White Sox, Radcliffe, left. Cleavage, center. Haas, right. Venora, first. Appling, short. Hayes, second. Pyatt, third. Sewell, catching. And Kennedy, pitches. Kennedy. Vernon Kennedy will be the pitcher. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to start a little check up there to the booth, possibly a little bit earlier than at some times, because I want to chat with a certain young man that I saw here in the stands on the way up. I might add, though, that it's another one of those days that well, you sort of dream about out here. Perfect sunshine, but a nice cool breeze off the lake blowing in from the north. Uh, what do you got there, Teddy? Oh, a brand new potato. Old Teddy Lyons managed to sneak a brand new potato from somebody, and he's going to have it autographed for somebody. He's going to send that back to Opelousas. I mean, where is that place down there you live? Vinton, Louisiana. Is that where it's going? It is, eh? And uh, how did you get Who'd you sneak that on? Billy Webb, or did you just sneak it? Oh, he gave you that one. Uh, two of you. <laughs> okay, Teddy Lyons would give along. You're just beaming all over. He had a brand new ball to get autographed. You people that ask for baseballs have no idea how tough it is to get them. And as a matter of fact, the uh, ball players have a tougher time. Now listen, Merv. <laughs> Merv Shea going to pull my trouser leg off. That's bad. The ball players themselves have a tougher time getting them than most of the fans do or friends of the fans or somebody like that. They have to sort of big borrowers steal them. Otherwise, maybe they'd have one every day. But on this perfect day with the breeze blowing in, nice, cool, sun out, nice and warm, making about an even possibility, well, I think probably we'd better start upstairs. And as we make that trek up there to the booth, 
Uncle George, how about a little switch to the studio? Attention, motorists. Too many of you are digging down into your pockets to pay over and over again for motor oil. An extra quart now, a couple of more quarts a few hundred miles later, constantly refilling the crankcase. You'll be glad to know that your Texaco dealer has an entirely new motor oil that will positively cut down your oil consumption. Use the need to have carbon removed and protect your engine longer against wear and tear. The new Texaco motor oil, made by the Perfural process, provides a newer, tougher lubricating film that resists burning up inside the engine. It puts more miles between the quarts you buy. With the new Texaco motor oil, your car will not be oil thirsty. Perfural is a special refining material. When oil is treated with Perfural, a stronger lubricating film results. This Perfural film acts like a protective wrapping for each of the moving parts of your engine. It lubricates better for many extra miles, providing greater, more complete engine protection. From the minute you fill the crankcase of your car with the new Texaco motor oil, you begin saving real money. You still pay only a quarter a quart but you get greater mileage between those quarts. So change now at any Texaco station to this tougher, longer-lasting oil with a Perfural film. Make your driving dollars go further. And now for a look at the... Well, I see we have some time for that. I see that Hal Totten is ready, and we'll go back to Comiskey Park for the baseball game brought to you by permission of the Chicago White Sox and the Philadelphia Athletics to stimulate interest in our national game and in your local team. Take it, Hal Totten. Am I on the air, George? Don't tell me I'm on the air. Well, being on the air, I'm on the air. Better talk on the air. So in that case, why we went to the fact that the the umpires have finished their conference at the plate and taking their positions out there in the field. Umpire Quinn behind the plate. Umpire Hubbard on first base, and Bill McGowan, old buddy, out there at third. Bill McGowan, I might add, is one of the discoveries and admits it, and is very proud of it. Of baseball writers, baseball writers. Introduced Bill McGowan into the American League. So many, many years ago, the Yankees were coming north. And they're playing a lot of games, and they picked up one of the teams, I don't remember which one, uh, to play some games with. And as they went along, they uh, had umpire McGowan with them. He was just a youngster. They liked his ambitions and his hustle. And the baseball writers went back to New York, and they called Ben Johnson, and they kept it Ben until he hired him. And now we have here the fellow who not only to the observers, but also to the ball players themselves, is the finest umpire, or one of the, of course we can't say that, but the ball players voted him the best umpire in the league from a ball player's point of view, but he's by far one of the finest umpires that the game has known. And he has sort of taken his little fellow Quinn under his wing, Quinn, the boy who with him and who had a bad year last year but has come along in grand shape this year to become another great umpire and by nursing with him talking baseball with him and otherwise putting himself out if necessary to satisfy his thirst for knowledge of just how to handle his job he's made a great umpire out of him i think he's going to develop also into a final hubbard the youngster that is out here is uh, also coming along fine. Well, for the fourth day in a row, Finney goes after the first ball, pitched to him, hits the ground ball down to the second baseman, and is thrown up. So his percentage is 50-50. In the opening game and in the third game of the series, he 
hit the first ball pitch and made base hits. In the second game and again in this game, he was out on that first pitch. And so it's one out of the first inning for the Athletics. And Wally Moses, the center fielder up there, bunts the first one, but it's fouled to the left of the plate. And Fyatt comes in to get it, but there's no play because it was outside. And it's strike one. Ball is going back out to Kennedy, the pitcher. And uh, starts to wind up, throws the next one. It's inside and low for ball one. So the county is one and one. One ball and one strike on Moses. And there's ball two. It's inside and low. You remember Kennedy started the first game of the series here and lost it. He was very wild. And eventually things went very badly, although the Sox ended up tying up the score. Didn't do an awful lot of good. Now he reaches out the butt again, and this one goes foul clear over to the Sox dugout. And so it's two and two, two balls and two strikes. Pitch to hit a swing, get a little looping flying left field. Ratcliffe comes in fast, can't get to it, and it drops in there for a base hit. Little looping Texaco leaguer into left field for a single for Moses, putting him on first base with one out in the first inning, and Chubb Dean, the first baseman, is best. Throws the first one, the runner's on the goal, the hitter takes it inside and low, and the runner slides in safely, and he got a great start on that ball. Moses, as I have mentioned time and again in this series and in other series, one of the fastest men in the game, and he got a great jump on the ball that time. Easily stole second. Sewell got the throw away very well, very fast. He throws it out there in a hurry. While it was a little bit high, uh, still, the runner was in there at the base long before it arrived. Long speaking in the sense of comparative time because naturally those plays happen fast. Now Dean hits the next one, a ground ball to Appling who gets it, throws the third, and Fyatt tags the runner out, sliding in there for the second out. Moses kept right out to third base. Appling got the ball, threw it to Fyatt, who just merely put the ball down there and let Moses slide right into it for the second out. So it's two out. In the first inning for the Athletics, Dean on first base, and George Puccinelli, the Athletics' right fielder, is at bat. He throws the first one, and George takes a fast strike over the outside corner about knee high. One strike on Puccinelli. And there's the next one wide and low for ball one, and the count is one ball and one strike. One and one on the Pooch. As he's signed again, turns and throws the first. The runner gets back in plenty of time. So the ball comes back to the pitcher. He has it, looks at first, then pitches. And the hitter swings and it's a high fastball inside for strike two. And it's one ball and two strikes on Puccinelli. One and two to count. <clears throat> Now 
Now with the runner on the goal, Pooch falls this one into the stands to the right of the plate. Well, it lands just short of the stands over there. And it's still one ball and two strikes on Puccinelli. I don't think that was a hit-and-run play. I think Pooch just swung to cover, to protect the runner when he thought the runner didn't get away soon enough and fouled off a bad ball because they'd hardly put the hit-and-run on with a count of one and two unless they're pretty had some reason to be sure the pitcher. They did it again. The hitter hit the ground ball down to Pyatt who starts to throw to second, sees that there's nobody there, so turns and throws to first. Throw is wide, but Benura grabs it and then blocks the runner off and tags him out. The ball was well hit, and the Pyatt grabbed it, running over towards second. He thought it would be a good play, I guess, to get the man a second because he was running in that direction. And that short throw is a throw more accustomed to what he has been used to at second base. There was nobody there, so he turned and threw wide to first. And Panura, reaching way out to the left, grabbed the ball down low and had it in plenty of time to block Puccinelli off. There was no runs, one hit, one man left on base in the first half of the first inning. And the score is nothing to nothing as the White Sox come to bat in the last half of the first inning with Rip Ratcliffe, as usual, the first man at bat. Dusty Rhodes, originally, when I first knew him, he was with the New York Yankees. He didn't stay there long, went to the Boston Red Sox, was with them for quite a while, and came to the A's last winter in the deal, one of the numerous deals between the Athletics and the Red Sox. And he's been pitching some pretty good ball for this club. But this, I think, is his first appearance in Chicago this year. Tander, rather stockly built fellow, dark complected, and very handsome. Better for you, young ladies. Pitch your weights out there now, gets his sign, starts to wind up the pitch, the first one to Radcliffe, stocky little left-handed hitter. And Rip swings it, it out to the shortstop, who takes it on a great big long hop, throws the first, and Rip is out easily for the first out in the first inning. One off, and Mike Kreevich is up there. Rosenthal still has the handicap of that twisted back, and he twisted running down to first base yesterday. So Mike has been moved over to his center field field spot, and Haas is back in right. And the first pitch to Kivich is a wide one low for ball one. Kivich is a right-handed hitter. Throws as he's trying again. Starts to wind up. Throws, and Mike reaches out the butt. One down towards third base. Higgins comes in fast, grabs it. Throws very high to first, but Dean leaps high in there to grab it. Kivich, in the meantime, having crossed first base easily. So it's a base hit. Base bunt. Down the third baseline by Kravich, putting him on first base with one out in the first inning for the White Sox, and Mule Haas is at bat. They're ready to pitch the first one, throws, and Mule takes the ball, it's inside and low. One ball called. 
Ken Rhodes has the sign. And pitches a mule swing, hit a ball right straight back at the second baseman who fumbles it. And by the time he gets to the ball, the runner is safe at first base on an error by Hayes. An error by, or rather not by Hayes, but an error by Johnson. And rather an easily hit ball, too, right straight at him. Took a high hop, but he didn't follow it at all. So now the White Sox have runners on first and second with one out in the first inning. And Zeke Manura is at best. Well, it's the first player that we have seen that Johnson hasn't looked good on in his transplanted position in this series. First pitch to Zeke is a wide one across the waist for ball one. Waits there again, swings around as he gets his sign. He's ready. And pitches and Zeke takes ball two. It's wide across the chest and makes it two and nothing. Nothing, two balls and no strikes, but you're ready again. Throws and Zeke twists away to take the third ball inside across the waist to make it three and nothing, three balls and no strikes on Zeke. Still got our symphony orchestra out here, George. Hear the whistle? <laughs> you're ready once more, takes another look back at second. Throws, and it's a strike over the heart of the plate, a little above the knees. Zeke let it go by without... Trying for it, so it's three and one, three balls and one strike. And again, the pitcher throws Zeke, gets the ball hard in the center field, but the center fielder Moses is in there to make the catch for the second out. Butters have to go back to their bases. Ball was very hard hit, a line smash, center field, but it was right straight at Moses, the center fielder. So it's two out in the first inning for the White Sox. They still have runners on first and second, and Luke Appling is at best. Swings around, he gets his sign, gets ready to pitch. Throws, and it's a strike over the outside corner about knee high. One strike on Appling. Rhodes ready again, takes another look back at second. And throws, Luke swings, the bat flips out of his hand, goes clear out to the pitcher's box as the ball goes down to the third baseman. And Luke is safe, and Rhodes is mad and throws the bat clear out of the infield. Just misses umpire Quinn down there. Rhodes is so sore because in hitting that ball, the bat flipped out of Appling's hand, rolled out to the pitcher's box. Rhodes stood there, watched it come out there, and let it roll up on his feet. And then he was mad and flung it clear off the mound and out into foul territory as Appling beat out the ball for an infield hit. Now the White Sox have the bases full with two out in the first inning. And it's a wide one across the knees for ball one. One ball called. Rose walks up to the dirt in front of the mound, moves it down a little bit. Walks back out there, adjusts his cap. 
Now starts to wind up. He throws and Jackie Hayes. The bat falls the ball back against the catcher's glove and back to the screen. And it's one and one on Hayes. One ball and one strike. One is the count. It throws again, and Jackie swings to miss one for strike two. And it's one and two. One ball and two strikes. One and two. Waiting out there again. Seems to be getting his sign. Takes a look at third base. Starts his wind up. And pitches, and Jackie hits the ball out in the left center. I think it's going to fall in there. It is. What a base hit. One run is in, the ball is coming into the plate as the second runner scores, and the other runners advance to second and third with Hayes coming in pretty hard and almost falling over as he tries to come up on his feet. It's a single. Texaco Leaguer, too, by Cracking. Well, those Texaco Leaguers can drive in those runs, can't they? Single to left center by Hayes, scored Kivich and Haas. For the first two runs of the ball game, both unearned runs because the error... If it hadn't been made, would have made it the third out when Venura flied out. And runners are on second and third with two out, two runs home in the first inning. And Tony Pyatt is at bat. He winds up, throws the first one, and Pyatt twists away. Big ball inside across the chest. He's all set to go after that one, too. Throws again, and Pryor takes a strike over the heart of the plate, waist high. And the count is one and one. One ball and one strike on Pryor. Throws again, and Tony swings and follows the ball back against the mat. And rolls out into the infield. And the catcher goes out to get it, looks it over as he comes back. Umpire Quinn has thrown another ball into the game. Calls for that one, and I think he's going to throw it out. Catcher Hayes has looked it over. And indicated it should be yes. Then after a look at it, throws it out of the game. The umpires, you know, are the only ones authorized to do that. And uh, umpire Quinn, who followed the rules, had to examine it to make sure that it really was improper for use. It's one and two, one ball and two strikes. And the pitcher throws again. The hitter started to swing, stop. The ball hit the bat and rolled over there. But And the catcher started to go after the fan, reached into the stands and grabbed it and the catcher walks back without it. I don't think the catcher knew whether that ball had been tipped ball or not. He thought maybe it might have been a pass ball. Went chasing over after it and both Dean and Rhodes came rushing into cover. The umpire called it a foul and strike. So it's still one and two on plant. One ball and two strikes. Again, the pitcher has that side, starts to wind up throws, and Tony takes the wide one across the knees for ball two. Catcher started to run toward the bench as though he thought that was a called third strike. Rhodes made a half-hearted start toward the bench, but takes the ball and goes back out the mound. The count is two balls and two strikes on Pyatt. Two and two the count.
winding up again, throws, and Platt gets ball three. Missed the outside corner up around the chest, and it makes it three and two. Three balls and two strikes on Platt. White Sox have runners on second and third with two outs, two runs home, and they're leading the athletics two to nothing in the first inning. Rhodes winds up, throws again, and Platt gets ball four. Wide and low, he gets the base on ball. So that fills the bases for the White Sox in the first inning. Two out, two runs already home, bases full, and Luke Sewell is back to score two to nothing in favor of the White Sox. Road starts to wind up pitches, and it's a high one inside for ball one. One ball on Sewell. Winding up again. He throws and looks, swings and fouls the ball back against the umpire's mask this time. Bounds way out against the stand of the left plate. Mark Quinn merely adjusts the mask. It's just quite a bump. He turns around. Call to somebody. He called the announcer, I guess. He's going to need some more baseballs in a minute. It's one and one. One ball and one strike. And Sewell gets the second strike. A beauty over the heart of the plate down around the knees. To make it one ball and two strikes on Sewell. One and two. Winds up again, throws, and Sewell swings and misses, striking out for the third out in the first inning. Went around on a little ball. It didn't look as though it had a thing on it, but he didn't hit it. So it must have had something after all. That ends the last half of the first inning. So it's two runs, three, four hits. Wait a minute. One, two, three hits. One error, and three men left on B. And the score is two to nothing in favor of the White Sox at the end of the first inning. Motor oil has more than one job to do. It must lubricate all the moving parts of the motor. It must seal the power in the cylinder, and it must help to keep moving parts cool. There's one way you can be absolutely sure that the motor oil in your car is doing a complete job. Use nothing but new Texaco motor oil. Bob Johnson, rangy right-handed hitter, the athletic second baseman. The bat start the second inning. Kennedy winds up, throws. Bob swings to call the ball back onto the roof of the stand, right up back of the plate, and it's one strike on Johnson. One strike to count. And there's a ball inside across the way, so the count is one ball and one strike. One and one on Johnson. And now comes ball two. It's over the plate, but too low. So it's two balls and one strike on Bob. Two and one. Swings again to hit a high fly coming down far way back here. I believe it's on the roof. Yep. <laughs> right up over our heads. Found it clear out over and back down into 35th Street. 
he swings again and there's a high fly going foul to the right of the plate. Sewell is following out under it toward the stand to the right and makes the catch for the first out in the second inning. One out of the second inning for the Athletics and Higgins. Pinky Higgins, the third baseman, is at bat. Started two in time, but he stopped in time to pull away from the inside pitch and have it called ball one. Has a wide one low for ball two, and the count is two and nothing. Two and nothing, and there's a strike over the heart of the plate just above the knees. So it's two balls and one strike on Higgins. Two and one to count. Think watches the third ball come by now. It's over the plate, but much too low. And it makes it three balls and one strike on Higgins. And now comes strike two, a fastball over the heart of the plate, waist high, and the count is three and two. There comes the fourth ball inside. And Kennedy really had trouble with his control. The both men finally walked Higgins. So Pinky's on first base with one out in the second inning. And Frank Hayes, the catcher, is up there at the plate. Hayes at bat. Kennedy throws the first one, and it's the fast one that's inside across the waist for ball one. One ball called. again throws and it's ball two a curveball wide and low well Vernon is having a little trouble in the control department had a lot of trouble with his control three days ago in the open game this series you remember when he was defeated although the stock tied it up later on he was knocked out of there and there comes a strike a fastball over the heart of the plate waist ties one thing about this kid he may have bad control, but he never quits bearing down. He's going to throw it with everything he's got. And if it goes away from the plate, it's too bad, but he's still throwing plenty. He loses that one by just an eyelash there in the corner. And it goes in ball three, but that was pretty close to corner. Goes three balls and one strike on Hayes. Three and one to count. Timothy throws first base. The runner gets back there. Kennedy pitches again and it's ball four wide and low and Hayes also gets a base on balls who's Higgins to second base and the athletic set runners on first and second with nobody aware with one out of the second inning and Newsom, Whitey Newsom, the A's shortstop is at bat. First pitch is a strike over the heart of the plate just above the knees. One strike on Newsom. One strike.
strike the count, and there's a ball wide, and Sewell throws the ball to first base, but the throw is very bad, and so Benura has to leap into the infield of gravity. He really had that fellow caught pretty well off the base, but his throw was so high and wide that Benura had to leave the bag and chase into the infield and leap into the air to grab. So it's one and one, one ball and one strike on Newsom. Kennedy swings around again, pitches, and it's ball two. It just barely missed the outside corner across the waist. So it's two balls and one strike. One. It throws again with the runners on the goal. The hitter hits the ball, thrown to right field for a base hit. Venora sort of looked at the ball and started jogging after it. And finally, when he did run out there, the ball, which should have been easily caught, had seeped through into right field for a base hit. So Newsom single to right, scoring Higgins to second base, and moving Hayes to third base. So as a result, the score is 2-1 in favor of the White Sox, and the A's have runners on first and third. One out, one run home in the second inning, and Rhodes, the pitcher, is at bat. Dusty takes the first one for a strike, down over the inside corner above the knees. Platt is playing in pretty close, figuring the pitcher might try to pull a squeeze play, at least to sacrifice the man from first to second. And the next pitch sails wide for ball one. Count is one ball and one strike on row. The player calls time when the runner down to first base requests it and goes over and whispers something to Lena Blackburn. The Athletic coach there at first base. Throws the first run is back. Might be figuring that there's a chance of their trying to pull something. And there comes the next one, a curveball, a breaking away from the hitter that caught the outside corner a little above the knees for strike two. And it's one ball and two strikes on row. One and two to count. Rose was all set to bunt on the next one, but he pulled back in time to let it go by for the second ball. And the ball popped out of Sewell's glove. It rolled just a few feet into the infield. So Luke grabs it, rubs it up, walks in, calls something to Kennedy, calls after him as Vern starts back to the mound. And the two come back to the places with Kennedy on the rubber and Sewell crossing back the plate to pass the sign. Down two balls and two strikes. And there comes the next pitch for ball three. It's wide across the waist, and Kennedy will really be in a serious jam now if he can't get this ball over on the pitcher, because there's a fella you've got to get if you're going to win. Three and two. Later swings at the next one to miss the curveball inside and strike out for the second out. Kennedy's control really has gone very bad in the last couple of weeks. Not that he isn't trying, because he is. And it may take him all year to master that new grip on the ball that he's using, the looser grip that he's using to prevent those famous wild pitches of his. And it might take a while before that control gets back. First pitch now to Finney, the leadoff man and left fielder, who's a bad left-handed hitter. The curve ball against the inside corner about knee high. One strike counts. He throws again. And it's ball one inside across the waist. So it's one ball and one strike on Finney. One and one. Back in plenty of time. So Venora 
Throws the ball back to Kennedy, and he pitches the pitch a high one wide for ball two on Finney. Two and one, two balls and one strike. Kennedy puts the ball from one hand to another, finally swings around in the rubber only to find Finney out of the batter's box. So he turns, walks out back of the mound to wipe his brow, rub up the ball a little bit, turns around and sees Finney back to the plate, so he steps on the rubber. That the runner's eyes ready to pitch, pitches, and it's ball three. It's wide and low, and it's three and one. Burns got to get him over better than that. He's going to have some serious trouble again today. This is one club that he's supposed to beat quite handily, but they certainly pinned his ears back the other day. Now with a runner on the goal, the hitter hits a long drive to center field, but Krivich is waiting there, has it, and it's three out. Ending that inning with only half of the White Sox lead cut off. Score two to one in favor of the White Sox. In the first half of the second, the A's had one run, one hit, and two men left on base. Two bases on balls, paving the way to the one run. And the score, as I said, is two to one in favor of the White Sox as they come to bat in the last half of the second inning with Kennedy. White Sox pitcher, the first man at bat. The broadcast of the White Sox Philadelphia game comes to you direct from Comiskey Park, the home of the White Sox in Chicago, as a presentation of your neighborhood Texaco dealer, distributor of Texaco, Fire Chief Gasoline. The broadcast comes with the permission of the White Sox and the athletics to stimulate interest in our national game and in your own local baseball team. This is WCFL in Chicago. So it's again starts his warm-up out there in the moment. Rubber this time with Moss, number two catcher, and Hayes is just walking up there at the plate. Frank was on base the end of the inning. They're over on third base. He had to wait a moment to take a moment to get into his card. They're on the applause. Kennedy comes hustling out of the dugout and up the plate. Stands there to watch the last throw. Moss throws the ball out to second base. Johnson across it to Newsom. Newsom back to the pitcher. And Johnson and Newsom have a little confab of some sort there. Just as they back over toward their position, same as they did yesterday early in the game. Now they go back there. Rose is up in front of the mound, moving down the dirt with his feet, his shoot, sole of his shoe, and then steps back on the slab. Back to wind up throws. And then Kennedy hits an easy bounder right back at Newsom, who gets it, throws the first, and Vern is out for the first out of the second inning. One out of the second inning for the White Sox. And Radcliffe is at bat. Rip Radcliffe up at the plate. Throws the first one, and the Ripper takes it wide and low. A curveball away from him for ball one. One ball called. Again, winds up, pitches, and Rip swings in about a right back at Johnson. who gets it, throws the first, and Rip is out for the second time today in two innings. And it's the second out of the second inning. So it's two out of the second inning for the White Sox. Mike Peters, White Sox center fielder, who paved the way to the White Sox two runs in the first inning by beating out a punt. He is up there at the plate. Throws and Mike swings in a foul down the right field line and back against the front of the second deck. It bounds down front and clear back out into the field. Fire Hubbard calls time and is starting out there to get the ball. Second baseman started over two, but Hubbard kept right on going to get it. 
It's one strike on Felix. Winding up once more. Throws and Felix takes the curveball wide and low for ball one. And it's one ball and one strike on Mike. One and one. Again, starts to wind up, throws, and the hitter swings it, punches the ball toward right field. Johnson goes way over grab, manages to grab the ball, and by the time he retrieves it, the runner is safe at first. And as a result, Krevich is on first base with two out in the second inning, and Haas is at bat. I think that Wayne Otto, who has been away for a couple of days, is back on the job. He is the official scorer, and he said he was going to relay him to us. And the first pitch to Haas is a strike over the inside corner about knee high. One strike on Haas. Did Wayne give any sign on it? He did. Where'd he get it? I thought so. Tell that youngster there we didn't keep an eye on Wayne because Wayne said he's going to forget this silly business and tend to business. Count is one and one now on Haas. One ball and one strike. He's Wayne's giving him over there. And now it's wide and low for ball two, making it two and one. Two balls and one strike on the mule. I guess I'm getting too old to take these little uh, controversies seriously, George. I don't know. I'm getting after that birthday when I was 29 again. Why... I don't know how many times that's been, but quite a few. Hitter hits the next one. It's a slow bounder to the uh, second baseman who grabbed it and tagged Krevich out and then threw to first to make sure the other man also. But uh, he was tagged out at second base, and it's three out. Wayne's giving him, isn't he, Whitey? Yeah, that's what I saw. Wayne uh, told me that uh, he says that, that silly business is the bunk with him. He's official scorer, and he's going to give him to us. <laughs> so... Yeah, Wayne Otto will pass him out. Thank you, Whitey. So it's no runs, one hit. One man left on base in the second inning for the White Sox. And the score is still 2-1 to one in favor of the Sox, the end of the second inning. You gotten your Texaco scorebook yet? You have, and you're working on it. Oh, I've had some swell inquiries from fans about ways of scoring some things. Oh, I meant to bring that one letter down here. It had three very good questions in it. And uh, I want to dig it up and answer those questions just exactly how they were. But I'll bring that out tomorrow. You know how to get it. Get your request card at your Texaco station. Fill it in and send it in, and you'll get this well scorebook with 17 games, a complete scoring system, and everything else. Now Moses Bat takes the first pitch inside for ball one. And there's ball two. It misses the outside corner above the knees. Rather clear up to the shoulders. Well above the knees, I might say. And it's two and nothing. Two balls and no strikes. Kennedy throws again for a strike this time over the outside corner down around the knees. And it's two balls and one strike. Two and one on Moser. Throws once more. Wally swings and hit a high fly in the short center field. Pivich is coming in hard under it. And makes the catch over in right center. The wind having held it up and dropped it in there. So it's one out in the third inning for the Athletics. And Dean, Chubb Dean, the first baseman, is at bat. 
Seems another left-handed hitter who's looking mighty, mighty good out there. Throws the first one and Chubb swings it, a bounder down to Appling who comes up with it nicely. Throws the first and Dean is out for the second out. Makes it two out in the third inning for the Athletics. Two out in the third inning and Puccinelli is up there at the plate. Puccinelli at bat. Throws the first one and the Pooch takes it inside across the waist for ball one. One ball called. Winds up and throws again. The hitter hits another bounder back past the pitcher. Hayes comes up with it nicely back of second base. Throws the first and it's three out. No runs, no hits in the first half of the third inning. And the score remains two to one in favor of the White Sox. Sox coming to bat in the last half of the third inning. First man up will be Zeke Menorah, the White Sox first baseman and cleanup hitter. Athletic players coming out onto the field with Rose Jeff walking out across the infield to start his warm-up out there on the slab. Oh, boy, what weather. Perfect, eh, George? Cool enough, a lot of sunshine. Mm-hmm. You wear that old battered leather coat of yours and feel comfortable. And without that coat, you don't feel comfortable, do you? Even on a hot day, it just looks at it longingly. You want to put it on. Too bad. Hey, I got a lot of slow wires there that you brought in yesterday. It came from the uh, studio that were delivered there on Tuesday, but I just got yesterday afternoon and opened that for the game. Several of them. Huh? Again, yeah. Only 29 again. Hey, somebody down in the stand didn't believe me today. Said you're 29 on 10. I told her she was a whole lot more than 14, I knew. <laughs> Here's Zeke Minota at bat. With Rhodes winding up, and he throws the first one for a ball inside across the chest for ball one. One ball called. Rhodes winds up, throws once more, and it's a strike over the outside corner across the knees, and it's one and one. One ball and one strike on Benura. One and one, but it throws again, and Zeke swings in a high fly out into right field. Short right field, the wind is blowing it back toward the foul line. And Johnson follows it in there and makes the catch nicely, although he had to not only judge a, dang, a dangerous win, but uh, he had to battle the sun all the way also. So it's one out in the third inning for the White Sox. And Appling, Luke Appling is up there at the plate. Coach winds up pitches, and Luke takes a wide one across the chest for ball one. One ball called. Ready again, winds up. And throws, and the hitter swings to follow the ball up on the roof of the stand above and to the right of the plate. And it's one and one. One ball and one strike. Again, the pitcher has the sign, winds up. 
And throws on the hitter, swings it up for another pop fly out toward right field. This time, Dean, the first baseman, is following it across the foul line and makes the cut just in foul territory for the second out in the third, in the third inning. Two out in the third inning for the White Sox. With Jackie Hayes, White Sox, second baseman up there at the plate. Hayes at bat. Winds up, throws. Jackie takes a strike over the heart of the plate about waist high. One strike on Hayes. Brings again to hit a line drive to left field, but the left fielder Finney's waiting. Oh, he almost misjudged it, and then to leap high in the air to make a one-handed catch of it for the third out. Finney stood there and jogged in a couple of steps, and then saw the ball start to sail over his head instead of sinking as he apparently thought it was going to. And he had to leap into the air to make a fine one-handed leaping stab of the ball to get it for the third out. So it's no runs, no hits in the third inning for the White Sox. And the score remains 2-1 to one in favor of the White Sox at the end of the third inning. Now, for complete scores up to the minute and complete batteries from other cities, we return to the studio. In the National League in New York, the Cubs are leading the Giants at the end of the first Half of the sixth inning, one to nothing. Davis and Hartman started for the Cubs with Henshaw pitching in the sixth. Hubble and Mancuso, the giant battery. In Brooklyn, the St. Louis Cardinals lead the Dodgers at the end of the first of the seventh inning by score four to nothing. Winford and Ogradowski, the Cardinal battery. The Dodgers using Frank Eisenberry to open with Phelps catching in the seventh. In Boston, the Bees and the Pittsburgh Pirates are tied at three all at the end of the first half of the seventh inning. Blanton and Patton, the opening battery for the Pirates with Brown pitching in the fifth. Bush and Lopez starting for the Bees with Cantwell on the mound in the sixth. In Philadelphia, the first game of the doubleheader between the Phillies and the Cincinnati Reds, taken by the Reds, five to nothing. In the second game at the end of the first half of the first inning, the Reds lead the Phillies one to nothing. Hollingsworth and Campbell, the Red battery in the second game for the Phillies, Benj and Wilson. In the American League, in Cleveland, the Indians lead the Washington Senators at the end of the second inning, four to two. DeJong and Millie's working for the Senators. The Indians using Blayholder and Pitlack to open. Hudlin pitching in the third. In Detroit, the New York Yankees lead the Tigers at the end of the first half of the third inning, two to nothing. Broca and Dickey, the Yankee battery. Tigers using Schoolboy, Rowe, and Hayworth. And now back to Comiskey Park and Hal Totten. Take it, Hal. Back of the ballpark for the fourth inning. Bob Johnson, after taking a ball, took a crack in the next ball pitch and hit a home run, wind or no wind. Clear into the lower deck of the left field stands in deep left center. Radcliffe made a great try for the ball, leaping high in the air, but it just slipped over the top of the scoreboard into the seat for a home run. Now Hagan goes after the first ball pitch and drives it out to center field just to the right of center for a single. Now drive Mr. Kennedy going to get his ears pinned back for the second time in the series. That's the way they started out against him the other day. They just murdered everything he threw. And the Sox are taking no chances. They have a pitcher warming up in the left field bullpen as Frank Hayes takes the first pitch wide for ball one. There comes ball two, another curve ball way outside. And it's two and nothing, two balls and no strikes. Two and nothing is the count. The hitter swings again to miss a curve ball for strike one. And it's two balls and one strike on Hayes. Thank you, Ernie. 
winds up again, throws, and Dusty swings around his to bump and then takes a chop at the ball, but misses it for strike two. Sewell seeing him swing around in bunting position, started to run out in front. As a result, the ball hit his club and rolled over to the right a little bit. So it's two strikes on road. Infield pulled in real close, almost to the infield grass. I think he cut off that run at the plate if possible. And he throws the next one. It's a little pop fly foul to the left of the plate on a bunt, so he's out automatically on a foul bunt on the third strike. Scored as a strikeout. And you can make a footnote if you want to in your scorebook, as we do drawing a line from that K in the lower right-hand corner down to the margin, indicating foul bunt on third strike. there, Penny watches the first pitch come by wide for ball one. Hello, Mr. Pennsylvania. He remembered it today. <laughs> and there's one wide for ball two, making it two and nothing. Two balls and no strikes. Nothing to count, but she winds up again, throws the hitter, swings to pull a foul down past first base for the first strike. And it makes it two and one. Two balls and one strike on finish. One one to count. Then he walks around the back out of the batter's box as Kennedy rubs up a new ball. Comes the next pitch and a hitter. It's a bounder right back. It just glances off of uh, the uh, pitcher's glove, and Hayes makes a great play in front of second base to get the ball and throw to first. Oh, that play was really a beauty by Hayes. Kennedy leaped into the air and just managed to slow up that ball a little bit. Hayes came over fast, grabbed it, and with a great underhand flip toss, got Finney at first base on a close play for the third out. That ends the fourth inning, and Kennedy pitched out of the inning in great style. After looking very wobbly at the start, he settled down and looked just the opposite of wobbly. One run, two hits, two men left on base in the first half of the fourth inning, and the score remains a tie, two and two, between the White Sox and the Athletics. White Sox coming to bat in the last half of the fourth. First White Sox hitter will be Tony Pyatt. Third base, and he already waits there. Back of the plate as Moss warms up road. Waiting for Hayes, who's again on base at the end of the inning. Get into the catching talk. Get out there to go to work. second base and it comes back to pitcher as Hyatt walks up there to the plate out of that White Sox start the last half of the fourth inning Roach moving the dirt down from the mound walks back moves it down in front of the slab turns around gets his sign he's winding up and he pitches and the hitter fronted the ball but it's fall on the ground back to stand and it's strike one. One strike to count. 
throws again, and it's the ball inside across the way. So it's one ball and one strike on five. One and one. There comes ball two, a curveball outside, and it's two balls and one strike on five. One one. up once more throws. Fire swings in a bonder down to the shortstop who comes over fast, gets it, throws the first, and Dean had to make a reaching catch way out to the left and high, but he made the play nicely for the first out of the fourth inning. One out of the fourth inning for the Sox, and Luke Sewell, White Sox catcher, is up there at the plate. Sewell at bat. swings and it's a line drive right out to the shortstop who manages to scoop it up off the top of the dirt just before it hits the ground and it's two out in the fourth inning. Two out of the fourth inning for the White Sox and Kennedy's at bat. Two out in the fourth inning. Kennedy up there. Starts to wind up. Rolls and the hitter swings hit the ball back. It hit Rolls right on the foot. Bounce clear out in the right field. Kennedy's around first base. Carrying for second base. And Rolls is still writhing around on the ground there. The ball is recaptured by the second baseman. Rolls gets up. And is limping around in the infield. Time is called. That was a line smack that either hit his foot or his shin. And it felt him like a blow from a club. He reaches down and rubs his ankle with the ankle and the shin bone just above the foot. Now Kennedy gets his jacket on and goes over to see him. And it goes the two-base hit, of course. For Kennedy and Byrne is over there seeing how this fellow is because it really was an awful dirty crack. Start a pitcher warming up in the bullpen in a hurry in case Dusty can't go on. The crowd gives him a hand. Boy, he took a smash that time. Mama, I don't want that to hit me. Woo. <laughs> My foot had gone right off with it. <laughs> the foot would have gone into center field and the ball into right, I think. Yeah, mine aches just from watching it. No kidding. Boy, he took a dirty crash that time. couple down there to make sure he's all right and able to continue. Besides, he can pitch all right, but boy, he's going to have a great big black and blue mark and a big lump on that leg. Probably coming up right now. He takes a look at it for a minute. Now, faces Rip Radcliffe. Radcliffe at bat. Two out in the fourth inning. Coach stands there rubbing up the ball, getting ready to pitch the first one to the ripper. Let's look back at second base. And throws, and Radcliffe takes a good strike over the heart of the plate just above the knee. One strike on Radcliffe. He's ready out there again. Throws, 
And Rip hits the ball of beauty down the right field line for another base hit. Kennedy's around third base, tearing for the plate. And the ball goes to second. Boy, that fella can really run. <laughs> Coming across the plate, he kicks Radcliffe's bat over and then comes back to pick it up. He's a happy-go-lucky rascal. <laughs> he just was having fun coming around there. And that drive to right field, a single line, single to right by Radcliffe. Scores Kennedy, and again, the White Sox are in front. This time, the score is 3-2. to two. Throws the first one, and the Cleaver takes a, a ball over the plate, but too low. One ball called. Pitcher waits there again, gets his time. The first base and throws. And Mike gets the ball to right field. Right fielder coming in fast. The ball drops in front of him for another base hit. Radcliffe is staring for third base. And he slides in just under the... No, he, they got him at third. Radcliffe, for some reason, slowed up at second. And then when he broke into his stride again, he'd lost just enough time to be caught at third base. Previous third hit was a looping single to right. And Radcliffe made second on it, but he slowed down at second and then suddenly looked over his shoulder and decided to go to third. And by that time, it was too late. And he was out on a very fine throw from right field by Puccinelli, who threw to Higgins at third, getting him for the third out. So it's one run, three hits, one man left on base. In the last half of the fourth inning, and the score is 3-2 to two in favor of the White Sox at the end of the fourth inning. The hardest working parts of your car are those chassis bearings down under. They need constant, efficient lubrication. Guard the bearings in your car with Marfax, the oily, water-resisting chassis lubricant which clings to the bearings and stays put. Any technical service station will Marfax your car. And remember... A Marfax job lasts twice as long as an ordinary grease job. Kennedy's ready now to pitch to Moses to start the fourth inning, and the first pitch comes over the plate about knee-high for strike one. Burn is winding up again. Draws and the hitter swings to follow the ball down toward first base. Coach at first base gets it, looks it over, indicates that it's pretty well messed up, and the umpire throws another ball into the game. Mark Quinn calls for that one. So Lena throws it in the stool, looks at it, and then throws it immediately out of play. Two strikes now. And there he takes the next one, takes a cut at it, but tries to stop a swing and can't. And he strikes out for the first out of the fifth inning, bringing Dean to bat. Dean up there at the plate. First pitch to Dean is a bad ball for ball one. Wide one, one ball on Dean. And there's a high one wide for ball two. So it's two and nothing, two balls and no strike on Dean. Kennedy throws the next one for ball three. Well, he had all kinds of control to Moses. Now, for Dean up there, he hasn't been able to get one of three pitches over. So it's three and nothing. 
Bird pitches again for well, it's called ball four, and so he gets the base on ball. Puts Dean on first base with one out of the fifth inning. And Puccinelli, the right fielder, is at bat. Puts another husky fellow, right-handed hitter. However, and he swings the first pitch in, a high fly out back to second base. Hayes is calling for the ball and gets it for the second out. That makes it two out in the fifth inning for the Athletics. Dean is still on first base, and Big Bob Johnson, who braced the wind with that terrific smash and got it into the stands for a home run in the fourth inning, is up there to play. Really must have hit that ball. Swings the first one, hit a bounder down to Hayes, who gets it, throws the first. Johnson was going down very hard, but he was thrown out at first base for the third out. So it's no run, no hit. One man left on base. In the first half of the fifth inning. And the score is still 3-2 to two in favor of the White Sox. As they come to bat in the last half of the fifth inning with Muleheart, their first hit. Broadcast the White Sox Philadelphia game. Comes to you direct from Comiskey Park, home of the White Sox in Chicago. As a presentation of your neighborhood Texaco dealer, distributor of Texaco Fire Chief Gasoline. Broadcast comes with the permission of the White Sox and the Athletics. Stimulated us in our national game and in your own local baseball team. This is WCFL at Chicago. Rhodes is finishing his warm-up out there as Haas stands to talk to Hayes. Mule is one of the famous Philadelphia alumni that are around the league. One of several on this team. White Sox really got a load of them again. They had Earnshaw and Simmons, but they've gone. Still have Haas, Dyke, Kane, Dietrich, Shores. Kennedy was also with the A's for a little while as a rookie. So is Radcliffe. Guess that's about all, though. I don't notice any other. Well, we're ready to go. Pitches start to wind up throws, and it's a strike over the inside corner about knee high. One strike on Haas. One strike on the mule. Back up there again. Pitch winds up. Throws, and he swings to drive the ball out to right center. It's going way, way out there for a long base hit. Puccinelli grabs for it. But it hits his foot and bounced past him. By the time he recovers it and throws it in, Haas is on second base. And it's a hit and an error. A single to right center by Haas. And he gets the second base on Puccinelli's fumbling error. So he's on second base with nobody out of the fifth inning. And Zeke Manura is at bat. Watches second base and throws, and the hitter takes it inside across the waist for ball one. One ball called. The 
Throws once more, and there's a strike over the heart of the plate. Waist high in the count is one ball and one strike. One and one. Throws again, and the hitter takes a wide one across the knees for ball two. The count is two balls and one strike. One one to count. Crowd out there in left field seats yelling if they want a homer. Oh, got it all over. He's going to get a little business from George here again. Two and one. Whoa. <laughs> Zeke was all cocked ready for that one. Goes through on those full of string balls. Slowed up on that ball. And as he did it, Zeke got all set, but the ball sailed up past the peak of his cap. It didn't break at all. So he took it for ball three. Makes it three and one. And the hitter swings to Paul. This one onto the roof of the stand, above and to the right of the plate. Hits three and two. Three balls and two strikes on Benura. Three and two to count. It's ready once more. Throws, and it's ball four wide and low, and it's a base on ball for Benur. White Sox have runners on first and second, but nobody out in the fifth inning. Luke Appling is at that. Luke Appling, the White Sox shortstop up there at the plate. Luke might try to bunt, but they don't expect him to. The infield isn't playing for it. Oh, that hits to right as much as he does, and really hits with runners this position. No, he reaches around to bunt. Hunts the ball toward third base. Higgins comes in fast, gets it, and throws it first. And Dean makes a beautiful play. Reaching around behind Appling to get that ball just in the nick of time. Because Higgins was playing pretty deep and just barely got him. But it took a very nice play by Dean to make it possible. So it's one out of the fifth inning for the White Sox. And now they have runners on second and third with Jackie Hayes at best. Winds up, throws, and Hayes swings in a pop foul coming up out of the roof of the sand over our head. A little bit to the left, and he's down and down back of it. Hit the ball, rolling it down in there, around. Great fielding play. Great play, Whitey. Whitey caught that ball while it was rolling down there in that slanting roof. <laughs> and there's the next one inside and low for ball one. So it's one ball and one strike on Hayes. One and one to count. It's infield again. It's right in on the edge of the grass. As the White Sox infield was a little while ago. Playing to cut off any further run at the plate if possible. Again, the pitcher starts to wind up throws. Jackie swings it a long drive to center field. Moses is waiting back there. Both runners are touching up. He catches it and they start. But Venora goes off. The throw comes to plate and the runner slides in safely. Getting in just ahead of that great throw from Moses. What I mean, that was a throw. Haas coming in there. Has the game leg and has been favoring it, that injured leg, uh, quite a bit. So wasn't perhaps going as fast as he sometimes has because he couldn't. Then Moses made a great throw to the plate. And Hoff had to just barely slide in under it to get into the plate with the run that puts the White Sox ahead. Four to two. And now Tony Plant is at back. Right up there at the plate. Rose throws the first one, and Tony takes a good strike over the heart of the plate about waist high. 
One strike on Platt. Watches back there, throws again. Platt takes a high one inside for ball one, and it's one ball and one strike on Platt. Honor is on second base, two out, one run home in the fifth inning, and the score is four to two in favor of the White Sox over the outfit. Tony swings again to miss a fastball for strike two, and it's one ball and two strikes on Tony. One and two. Swings runs, he gets his sign, he's ready. Pitches, and it's strike three, a fastball over the outside corner, waist high. Plant let it go by without swinging at it, and it's called out on strike for the third out. Third out of the fifth inning. It's one run, one hit, one error, and one man left on base. Well, the four aces pop up, Georgie. Oh, four aces. And the score at the end of the fifth inning, the White Sox are leading the athletic four to two. Now, once again, for just a moment, we return to studio. Way to definitely settle baseball post-mortem. Baseball scorebook and play-by-play record. Hal Totten has set up in easily understandable fashion his own system of play-by-play scoring, which he has developed over a period of years. By following these printed instructions and any additional data which he will give you over the air, you can your own records. You can then, too, technical gather together in the book lots of other interesting baseball data. Photographs of both teams, nicknames, ages, averages of the players, schedules of all major league games. In fact, the 1936 Tactical Baseball Scorebook is something you'll want to keep. Here's how you can get your copy absolutely free. Just go to any Tactical Service Station and ask for a request card. Then write your name and address on the card, stamp it, and put it in the mail. Remember, there's nothing to buy. Just send in your request card. And the sooner you get your book, the sooner you, too, will be able to score these games just like Hal Totten does. Now back to Comiskey Park for the continuation of the baseball broadcast, brought to you by permission of the Chicago White Sox and the Philadelphia Athletics to stimulate interest in our national game and in your own local team. Okay, Hal. Back at the ballpark for the sixth inning. Higgins is back to the Athletics. Count of one ball and two strikes. Kennedy throws. Higgins hits the ball out into right field for a base hit. Hayes has got a good start on the ball, but it was through too fast for him. And it's Pinky's second hit besides the walk this afternoon. But put Higgins on first base with nobody out in the sixth inning for the Athletics. And Frank Hayes, the A's catcher, is at bat. Throws one and Frank swings hit a long drive foul. Way down the right field line. Far back into the second deck with a bounds out and over. Back down amongst the box seat customers. And it's one strike on Hayes. Hits the next one. A terrific smash to center field. Peters comes over and ranges back. Make the catch nicely. Oh, he had to be very, very quick in his judgment on that one. Because that ball was hit hard. And he ranged over to his Jordan left to right center. And then ranged back a little and made the guess just exactly right. So it's one out of the sixth inning for the Athletics. Higgins is still on first base. And Newsom, Lamar Newsom, the shortstop at bat, takes the first pitch for a strike over the heart of the plate above waist high. It's 
ready to pitch the first one throws, and it's a curveball wide and low for ball one. One ball called. And the pitcher seems ready, turns and throws the first, runners back there in time though. Now he pitches and the hitter swings in a bounder down to Hayes. He got to flip to the appling. He throws the first, and it's a double play. For some reason or other, Newsom stopped up just as he was arriving at first base. And I think he could have beaten that ball, and he's kicking the dirt as he walks back out to his position. But I think he thought there were two out, and that that man being forced at second made it three out. And very peevish as he walks back out there toward his uh, position because he knows he did something a little bit wrong. He might not have beaten it. But he stopped, and the play was taking so long there was a chance that he might have beaten that ball to first base. A very peculiar thing, but I think explained by that one thing, and he thought there was already two outs, and that that out of second base made it three. So it's no runs, one hit in the sixth inning for the Athletics. Score remains four to two in favor of the White Sox. Sox coming to bat in the last half of the sixth with Luke Stool, White Sox catcher, the first man up. down there. The pitcher has the ball again. Walks slowly back onto the mound. And Rhodes starts his wind-up. Pitches. Sewell takes the curveball inside and low for ball one. One ball called. Rhodes waits there again. Seems to have the sign. He's winding up. Throws. And the hitter swings in a high fly to right field. Right field arranging over toward the foul line easily. And he misjudged the ball. I lost it in the sun. And it drops out there for a base hit. And Sewell comes into second base to throw bounding on and hitting him in the leg as he arrives. Puccinelli started over, jogging over, watching for the ball. And then suddenly, the last instant, the wind caught it and blew it away from him. And it landed well out of reach and inside the foul line also for a two-base hit. Sort of a wind and sun double, you might say. Now Vern Kennedy is up there. Kennedy at bat. And he reaches out, bunts the first one toward first base. The pitcher, Rhodes, comes over, got this, throws the ball right into the runner. But again, Dean made a nice play. Oh, that Dean really looks awful good on those kind of plays, which we've heard many first basemen say is the toughest play that they can make. And that is the ball thrown right into the runner. And three times the last three times a day and once yesterday, Dean made those plays. Now the infield comes in close again, but all but Dean playing right in close. Dean is back a little as Radcliffe steps up there. And the first pitch is wide and low for ball one. Ball called. It's ready again. Throws. And the hitter hits the ball to 
to let the shortstop goes far to his right and gets it and makes the throw to first in time to get Radcliffe. Rip swung, start driving that ball toward left field, but Newsom shifted very fast, go back and get it and throw to first to get his man. Now with two out, the infield moves back to normal position, and Mike Levich comes to bat. With Duell still on third base, score four to two in favor of the White Sox. Watches third base and pitches, and it's a strike over the outside corner about knee high. One strike to count. Throws again, and it's a curveball wide for ball one. The count is one ball and one strike on Creevich. One and one. Ready once more, throws, and Previs started the swing, stopped in time to have it called ball two. It curved wide, and so it's two balls and one strike on Previs. Two and one. Pitcher has he sign again. He throws, and Mike swings it about a right back at Rhodes, who leaps into the air, grabs it, throws the first, and Mike is out with a third out, and Rhodes did a nice job of pitching himself out of that inning after the wind and sun had combined to give Sewell a double at the opening of the inning, and the next man sacrificed him to third. He was still on third at the end of the inning. No runs, one hit. One man left on base in the last half of the sixth inning. And at the end of the sixth, the White Sox lead the Athletics 4-2. Now again for up-to-the-minute scores and complete batteries from other cities, we return to studio. In the National League in New York, the Chicago Cubs lost the game to the Giants today by a score of 3-1. The Giants had three runs, six hits, and one error. To the Cubs, one run, seven hits, and one error. Davis and Hartnett opened for the Cubs with Henshaw hurling in the sixth and Warnicke on the mound in the seventh. Hubble and Mancuso went the entire route for the winning Giants. In Brooklyn, the St. Louis Cardinals are leading the Dodgers at the end of the first half of the ninth inning by a score of 7 to nothing. Winford and Ogradowski working for the Cards. Frank House and Berry's opening for the Dodgers with Phelps catching in the seventh, Clark on the mound in the ninth. In Boston, the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Bees are tied 3-all at the end of the tenth inning. Blanton and Padden working for the Pirates to open with Brown on the mound in the fifth. Bush and Lopez, the battery for the Bees to start with Cantwell hurling in the sixth. The first game of the doubleheader in Philadelphia... Between the Phils and the Cincinnati Reds was taken by the Reds 5 to nothing. In the second game, the score is tied at the end of the first half of the fourth inning, 3-all. Hollingsworth and Campbell, the Red Battery, the Phillies using Benj and Wilson. In the American League, in Cleveland, the Indians lead the Washington Senators at the end of the fourth inning, 7-6. DeShong and Millie's working for the Senators with Cap Corella in the fourth. Blayholder and Pitlack, the opening battery for the Indians, Tottenham on the mound in the third, and Brown pitching in the fourth. In St. Louis, the Red Sox are leading the Browns at the end of the first inning, one to nothing. The Farrells, the battery for the Red Sox, Thomas and Giuliani working for the Browns. In Detroit, the New York Yankees lead the Tigers at the end of the first of the sixth, three to nothing. Broke and Dickey, the Yankee battery, the Tigers using Rowan Hayworth. And now back to Comiskey Park and Hal Totten. Take it, Hal. Back at the ballpark for the seventh inning. Dusty Rhodes, the pitcher, came to bat, hit the first ball pitch for a high fly into center field, which Peters got for the first out. Now with a count of one and one on Finney, he swings, hits the bounder down to Benora, who has to make a one-handed stop on a bad hop there, but gets the ball and runs over to first base to get Finney for the second out. And it's two out in the second inning for the Athletics. 
with Moses, Wally Moses, the center fielder at bat. And he looks around, the boys out there, gets ready to pitch now to Wally, throws, and it's a fast one inside and low for ball one. One ball called. Door, the door is banging. <laughs> Kennedy throws again, and it's a line drive to left field, and Radcliffe chasing it, but it goes over his head, bounds against the wall, Rip gets it. Runner pulls up at second base easily. Radcliffe throws the ball into Halfling, and it's a double to the base of the left field wall by Moses, putting him on second base. With two out of the seventh inning. Yeah, I like to watch that fellow run. He really goes. Just as smooth and easy. Two out of the seventh inning. Moses on second. And Dean, Sub Dean, the A's first baseman, is at bat. Kennedy looks around, gets ready to pitch the first one to Chubb. Throws, and the runner's on the go for third base. And slides in and is out. He slid hard into Pyatt who had the ball and brought it down on him and then sliding into Tony, his foot couldn't reach third base and he's caught stealing for the third out. So it's no run, one hit in the seventh inning for the Athletics. And now the crowd is standing up for the seventh inning stretch. As the White Sox come to bat on the last half of the seventh, Muhas, the first White Sox hitter, score four to two in favor of the White Sox. Rhodes is just arriving out there in the mound. There's a good crowd out here today, as well as a great crowd of youngsters out in that left field stand. New stands there watching. thrown out to second base. Johnson missed it out there and had to chase it out into the outfield. He just knocked it down. He gets it and throws it back. And the pitch is ready to pitch again to Haas. Starts his wind up. Throws. And Mule swings to call the ball back toward us here. Got it coming back fast. He might get to it. He didn't quite make it. And it's strike one. Haas walks over to pick up his mask and rub off the padding. Get the dust off it. Hands back to Frank as he gets back up there to plate. Hayes made a good try for that ball. And it's one strike on Huff. One strike count. He throws again and Huff takes the ball inside across the waist. And it's one and one. One ball and one strike on Huff. Brings it, the next one, a high fly into right center. Moses is waiting back there for it. Gets it easily, and it's one out of the seventh inning. For the seventh inning for the White Sox. And Dick Venora is at bat. Venora up there at the plate. up the pitch, first one throws and six swings did a pop fly going foul to the right of the plate. Ace is also chasing that one over to the stand and grabs it down there, but 
apparently couldn't quite hang on to it. He crashed into the front of the stand. Apparently is unhurt. Comes walking back there. Made another nice try. And as a result, it's one strike on Big Z. One strike on Benura. Pitcher throws again with Zeke hitting a hard bound or two. Johnson comes up with it nicely. Throws the first. And it's two out of the seventh. And Luke Appling is up there at the plate. Appling at bat. Well, school's keeping again out there in left field bullpen. Cellini's putting in his afternoon work. One of the other boys taking long work out there with Muddy Rule. Luke swings the first pitch in a high fly to right field. The right fielder coming over. And still misjudges the ball a little in the wind and sun, but manages to follow it over far enough to get it for the third out. So it's no runs, no hits in the seventh inning for the White Sox. And at the end of the seventh inning, White Sox still lead the Athletics. The score being four to two. When every minute counts, you'll find that it doesn't pay to guess about gasoline. Tourists, traveling men, people who drive many miles a day against time, find that Texaco Fire Chief never lets them down. And best of all, it costs no more than ordinary gasoline. Dean, Chubby Dean, the A's first baseman, is a bat start the eighth inning for Philadelphia. Kennedy throws the first one. He hits it to left field, but it's foul down there and just misses one of the warm-up catchers, and it's strike one. One strike to count. Joe Morris, he's down there taking a workout, warming somebody up, warming up Cellini, and that ball just missed him. There's ball one, hind wide, and the count is one ball and one strike on Dean. One and one is the count. Swings again, hit a ball back through the box. Appling almost gets it back to second base, but not quite. And it goes through into center field for a base hit. Single to center field by Dean. Putting him on first base. Nobody out in the eighth inning. And Puccinelli, the Athletics' right fielder, is at bat. Puccinelli up there at the plate. Throws and George swings it a ground ball down to Appling and gets it, throws to Hayes. Jackie throws the first, and it's another double play. Well, that White Sox infield is certainly turning in those double plays these days. He's got that ball flipping around out there in real championship style. So it's two out in the eighth inning for the Athletics. And the next man up there is Bob Johnson, the A's second base. Johnson is back. And he throws the first one, and Bob swings to miss a high fastball inside. And it's strike one. Strike, George. Strike one. And there's a ball wide and low. So the count is one ball and one strike on Johnson. One and one to count. Johnson swings the next in high, fly down back at first base. Honora's following it over into foul territory and makes the catch for the third out. 
So it's no runs, one hit. In the first half of the eighth inning, and the score remains four to two in favor of the White Sox as they come to bat in the last half of the eighth with Jackie Hayes, the first man at bat. Broadcast the White Sox Philadelphia game comes to you direct from Comiskey Park, home of the White Sox in Chicago, as a presentation of your neighborhood Texaco dealer, distributor of Texaco Fire Chief Gasoline. The broadcast comes with the permission of the White Sox and the Athletics to stimulate interest in our national game and in your own local baseball team. This is WCFL Chicago. Rhodes finishing his warm-up. Now Jackie Hayes stands there waiting to take his turn at bat to start the eighth inning. Finishes the warm-up. There goes the ball again up second base. And we'll be ready to go now in the last half of the eighth. Waits there at the plate as Rhodes gets his sign, gets ready to pitch to him. Starts to wind up. Rolls and Jackie reaches out and sort of pushes the bunt out toward first base. Eden gets the ball and races for the bag. And Hayes beats it out for a base hit. Dean couldn't make any other play on that ball but that. He started for the base and realized that the pitcher couldn't get it. So he raced out to his right, grabbed it. And Rhodes wasn't anywhere near getting first base. So Dean, without losing any time on the play, didn't hesitate at all, raced for the bag. But Hayes, a fast man, beat him. And it's a base hit for Jackie. His second of the ball game. Puts him on first base with nobody out in the eighth inning. And Tony Pyatt is at bat. Pyatt runs up on the first one. He's going to try to hit it to right. But the pitch came in high and inside. And it's ball one. The high one inside for ball two, and the count is two and nothing. Two balls and no strike on Pyatt. Two and nothing to count. Throws again, and Tony swings in a line drive, and the shortstop leaps high in the air to grab the ball, and then holds it when Hayes. Gets back to first base so quickly that to make a throw would be to take a chance on and there. The ball was hard hit, so hard hit that Hayes, who had made a break for second, saw where it was going and had, hadn't had time to get far away from the base by the time it was caught. But he was able to get back. And so Hayes is still on first base, one out in the eighth inning, and Luke Sewell, White Sox, the catcher is at bat. Rhodes swings around, ready to pitch the first one. Throws, and Luke swings in a drive out into right center for a base hit. Going on out there, it's past the right fielder, going clear through to the wall. Hayes is around third base on his way home, and Sewell is pulling up at third base. He makes the turn, but the ball is being run in. The center fielder raced up to the wall and stumbled and fell on that incline of the side out there at the far end of the scoreboard, but that triple by Sewell. Hit the wall, that is bounded out as far as the wall, landing against it at the far end of the right field scoreboard. And it's Luke's second extra base hit of the game. 
First one coming to him by virtue of wind and sun. And it drives home Hayes with a run that gives the White Sox the lead by a score of 5-2 and brings Vernon Kennedy, the White Sox pitcher, to bat. Rhodes out there gets ready to pitch the first one. Vernon throws and Kennedy hits the ball into left center for a base hit. His second hit of the game and it scores cool easily from third base with the second run of the inning and the White Sox sixth run of the game. Kennedy's other hit was that terrific smash off Rhodes' shin that bounded out into right field for a two-base hit. And he scored right after that on Radcliffe's single. Now the Rippers up there to plate. One out, two runs home. In the eighth inning in the first pitch is inside and low. The ball one. Stocky left-handed hitter. The A's have started two pitches warming up in the right field bullpen. Both of them right-handers. Throws another one, and Kennedy hits it down the right field line for a good base hit. I mean, Radcliffe does. Kennedy is around second base. Ball is coming over there to second base, and it bounds up rather peculiarly. Newsom knocks it to the ground in time to hold Radcliffe at second, and Kennedy at third. It's a double down the right field line by Radcliffe. And it looks though there's going to be a change in pitchers. Rhodes turns and starts for the clubhouse. And Earl Mack, son of Connie Mack, and one of the coaches of the club, walks up there to tell the umpire who the new pitcher is going to be. I believe it's Ross, do you? Mr. George, I believe it's Ross. Mr. George very often is correct. Very often correct. <laughs> he didn't do very well on that one. Lizenby, I didn't know he was with this club. We used to call him Lizenby when he was with, uh, if it's the same fella. He used to be with, uh, boss, he isn't even in the program here. Can't tell the players without a scorecard. In this case, you can't tell this one with one, can you? <laughs> Lizenby's a right-hander. Looks very much like the same boy who some years ago was with Boston, Washington. Whether it is or not, I'm not sure. He's been up in the International League and going pretty well lately. Finishing his warm-up out there in the mound. With catcher Hayes as Previch will take his turn at bat. White Sox now have runners on second and third. One out, two runs already home in the eighth inning. Now six to two in favor of the Sox. And Previch finally steps up there as umpire Quinn dusts the plate. And the infielders trot to their positions. Again, the infielders come into the edge of the infield grass. Try to cut off any run at the plate if possible. He throws, and Peavis takes a fast strike over the outside corner across the waist. One strike on Peavis. Winding up once more, throws, and Mike takes a high one wide for ball one. Count is one ball and one strike on Peavis. One and one. Winds up again, throws, and Mike swings it a slow foul to the left of the plate. Waiting back here is Haas, and he grabs the ball on that high bounce, looks it over, tosses it back to umpire Quinn, who had already given the catcher another ball to put in play. 
far pocket set one as Pittsburgh for the use. And Fever steps back up there once more. White Sox runners on second and third. Mike starts to swing at the next one, stops the ball, hits the bat, and goes Paul back to the stand. He was pulling away from it to keep from finishing his swing because the pitch was high and inside. And in pulling away from it, the ball hit the bat and went foul to the stand. Haas is walking back to get it. Still one ball and two strikes. Lisenby throws again, and Mike swings in a slow bounder into the infield. The third baseman, Higgins, comes in fast, gets the ball, and throws the first. Nipping Felix by an eyelash over there on a very, very close play. And it scored one run. Kennedy scored easily, and Radcliffe went to third. On Felix, infield out. And Higgins, incidentally, had to make a beautiful play on that ball to get the run. And he nipped him by an eyelash. That's three runs this inning. White Sox leading the athletic 7-2, with Radcliffe still on third base, two out, and Mule Haas at bat. The first pitch to Mule is a wide one low for ball one. Goes once more for a strike over the outside corner waist high, and it's one and two. One ball and two strikes. to the count. Hitter hits the next one, a bounder out back at second base, shortstop, Newsom gets it, throws the first, and Haas is out for the third out, ending the eighth inning. In the eighth inning, the White Sox had three runs, four hits, and one man left on base. And the score, at the end of the eighth inning, the White Sox, seven, Philadelphia Athletic, two. I said before, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to bring some mail out meant to today that I've received from fans who have gone over the scoring system that we have in the Texaco scorebook that you can obtain so easily that the Texaco company is giving away with great pleasure. That system in there is very complete, more so than a lot of systems, but naturally there are some certain little tricks that we have that uh, you can hardly put in a system because everybody has certain of those differences. And uh, if you want to know, have any questions about the scoring, uh, drop me a line. I'll either give it on the air or possibly, if I can, if there aren't too many questions, do it by mail so that you can have all the dope. But remember to get this book with room for 17 games, a complete scoring system, the stocks and tops and rosters. Stop in at any technical station, ask for a request card, fill it out. All he asks for is your name and address. Mail it. It's already addressed to me. Put a one-cent stamp on it and mail it, and you'll get your book. Now to start the ninth inning, Higgins at bat, and the first pitch comes by wide for ball one. One ball called, and there's ball two wide across the knees, making it two and nothing on Frank Higgins, known as Sticky Higgins, the athletic third baseman, who already has a walk and two hits in this ball game. Fire through the ball out of play that was being used there, and the next pitch comes behind inside. Ball three. Didn't do much good, did it? Down is three and nothing. Three balls and no strikes. There comes the first strike. He catches the inside corner just above the knees. Run the count to three and one. Three balls and one strike. Kennedy winds up again. Throws for ball four. It's wide and low. And Higgins now has a perfect day at bat with two walks and two singles. Pinky's on first base. Nobody out in the ninth inning for the Athletics. And Frank Hayes. The catcher is at best. Hayes up there at the plate. 
Kennedy throws the first one, and Hayes takes a strike. A fastball over the outside corner about knee high. One strike on Hayes. He swings the next one to hit into left field for a good clean base hit. Down at the first is stopping at second. And the athletics have started what might turn into a serious rally here. They have runners on first and second with nobody out in the ninth inning. And Newsom, Lamar Newsom, known as Whitey Newsom, the athletics shortstop. Cocky little blonde-haired right-handed hitters at bat. And he takes the first pitch for a strike over the heart of the plate about waist high. One strike to count. Pinch hitter going to come up here now. Bat in place of the pitcher following this man. Hasn't spotted quite yet who it is. Probably Nemec. Hitter hits the next one to Bonner back through the box. It goes on into center field for a base hit. One run is coming into the plate and they let the ball go. The pitcher started to uh, uh, get the ball and deflected it so that it changed the course enough and the catcher couldn't see it. It hit his leg and bounded back to the scan, letting the other runners go to second and third. And now Kennedy is really in the spot. The last instant, Kennedy, who had his hand up, tried to pull it down to let it go at, apparently, at the catcher's call, but he deflected it so that Luke couldn't see it. So on Newsom single to center, Higgins scored. And uh, Hayes went to second, and now just what, who they call that error on, I'm not sure. We're trying to find out from uh, Wayne Otto, the official scorer was back from his vacation. Then Nemec batting for Lisenby hits the ball down to Appling and is thrown out at first base for the first out with Hayes scoring on the play to give the Athletics two runs this inning and make the score seven to four. And the head of the batting order, Lou Finney is at bat. Taking the first pitch inside and blow for ball one. It dropped out of Stuhl's glove, but he grabbed it fast. Then he hits the next one, a high fly coming down foul back at third base. Platt follows over there and makes the cut for the second out. And that makes it two out of the ninth inning. Two out of the ninth inning for the athletic. And Moses is at bat. There at the plate waiting now. And the first pitch is high and inside for ball one. Hitter swings the next to hit a high fly. Also foul going down back at third base. Pied is following it over and makes the catch right in front of the stand for the third out. And the White Sox win the ball game seven to four. The you say they signaled to Whitey that that was an error on the throw, George. Well, that's what it, I figured it probably was, but we wanted to make sure of it. That error that let the man go to second and third is uh, given to the center fielder on the throw. Peter on is the throw, and that's the way that was scored. Now, in the ninth inning, the Athletics had two runs, two hits. There's one error and one man left on base. And the score is 7-4, White Sox making seven runs, 
13 hits, one error. They had eight men left on the base. The Athletic had four runs, nine hits, two errors. They had seven men left on base. Time of the game an hour and 45 minutes. The winning pitcher, Kennedy, and the losing pitcher, Rowe. Summary again for the benefit of those who keep all those things in the scorebook and are checked with them. Mexico scorebook. <coughs> White Sox, seven runs, 13 hits, one error with eight men left on base. The Athletics, four runs, nine hits, two errors, and seven men left on base. Time of the game an hour and 45 minutes. Winning pitcher, Kennedy. Losing pitcher, Rowe. Tomorrow is Ladies' Day, and the Boston Red Sox will be in town to open their four-game series in three games. Single games on Friday and Saturday, and a doubleheader on Sunday, and the doubleheader of the first game, as usual, starts at 1.30. We'll see you on a lot of those days, but if you're not out here, why, we hope to be talking to you, but that's all for now. And speaking for George, as well as myself, Hal Totten, bid you good afternoon from Comiskey Park, and we return to the studio. Bye now. Speaking to you from the studio, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you a summary of the other baseball games that have been played this afternoon. First in the National League, in New York, the Chicago Cubs. Snappier road work. It has the stamina, the quick getaway, the reserve of extra power and speed for the open stretches that make sluggish cars look like part of the scenery. Texaco Fire Chief is emergency-type gasoline. That means Fire Chief meets rigid federal specifications for emergency use. It's fast-firing, crowded with action. Fill up with a tank full of fire chief. Then try out your car. You'll find that in response to the same pressure on the accelerator to which you're accustomed, your car will step out faster and that you'll get more enjoyable miles from each gallon. Reason enough why more tourists buy Texaco Fire Chief gasoline than any other single brand. Remember, when you get a filling of fire chief at the Texaco station near you, you'll be getting more for your money. So drive with Texaco and save. Your neighborhood technical service station has brought you this broadcast direct from Comiskey Park by permission of the Chicago White Sox and the Philadelphia Athletics to stimulate interest in our national game and in your own local team. Fred Fowler speaking for the Texas Company. Invite you to tune in tomorrow afternoon at 2.45 for another baseball broadcast with Hal Totten at the microphone. And whenever you hear the siren and bell, think of Texaco.